We're going to be finishing up chapter 24 in the Gospel of Matthew. I I bet that you've heard some of these stories of these actors who have gone to extreme measures to get into their roles. I uh, think of uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot, if you ever saw that movie. He spent months and months with disabled patients in, in a school in Dublin trying to understand how the, the disabled th- thought and moved. In be- and in between takes in filming, he actually remained in the wheelchair. For his role in The Revenant, Leonardo DiCaprio would plunge himself in and out of icy waters. He, he ate raw buffalo meat and even slept in a simulated uh, uh, horse carcass. For his role in The Fury, Shia LaBeouf trained with the U.S. National Guard and didn't bathe for four months during filming. That must have been fun. To better imitate Ray Charles, Jamie Foxx wore prosthetic eyelids that left him blind most of the day. As a matter of fact, it was said that during uh, when, when uh, filming was over, sometimes everybody left and he was left there alone because he was blind. For her role in for Fontaine in Les Mis, Anne Hathaway shaved her head and lost 25 pounds by eating just two thin square uh, wafers of dried oatmeal a day. These actors are going to significant lengths to prepare for their roles. These actors are laser-focused on their role, their upcoming role. They took it so seriously that they were willing to, to not eat and to change their life, to change their lifestyles. Jesus has just been telling us for the last three weeks that he's coming back. He now asks us in our text today, how seriously do you take this? Look with, it, look with me at Matthew 24, starting in verse 32. Jesus continues in the Olivet Discourse. And says, from the fig tree learn this lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were that in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We're going to pause there. As we've been making our way through the Olivet Discourse, we have noted that Jesus tells us that in the age in between his advents, in the age in between his first coming and his second coming, is going to be an age of waiting, patience, of incredible progress of the gospel over the globe, crescendoing in a time of intense persecution of God's people that comes to an end only when Christ comes down from heaven bodily, returning to earth, descending from heaven in final judgment. And Jesus tells us here, be ready for that. Be ready. That's what these verses are telling us. Be ready for that. Robert Robbins was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq war. He flew over 300 missions before he got his papers to go home. Wanting to surprise his wife, he didn't send a message home. He got on a flight across the ocean, landed in Massachusetts, took the long drive through to western Pennsylvania. He drove all night and he arrived at his home at sunup. And when he turned into his driveway, there was a banner that read, Welcome Home, Dad. How did they know? No one had called. No one had messaged. He walked into his house and the kids were half-dressed for school. And when they saw him, they, they freaked out and ran over and hugged and kissed him. His wife... Susan came walking down the hall and he turned to her and said, how, how did you know? She said, I didn't. Once I knew the war was over, we knew you'd be home one of these days and we're ready every single day for your return. That's the posture that Jesus wants us to be in. That's it. Having the banner ready, already out there. Be ready every day. Did you notice the language? I tried to stress the language as I read through it. He is near. At the very gates. Stay awake. Stay awake. Be ready. And Jesus uses three metaphors to reinforce this as he goes on. This, this be ready posture. This be prepared posture. This, this Put the banner out and be ready every single day. He uses three metaphors. First, he says, learn the lesson from the fig tree in 32. When its leaves are put out, you know the summer is near. There are indicators of his coming. And by the way, Jesus has just given us those indicators, hasn't he? That's the reason why he's telling his disciples and us this. 
You know, he wants us to notice the gospel growth, and I think we did that a couple weeks ago. Notice the gospel growth. Leaves are sprouting. Notice false messiahs coming. Notice Christians suffering. I did not, I know you've heard this a billion times, but the 20th century was the single bloodiest 100 years for our brothers and sisters under persecution. Look for the great tribulation. Be aware of the great apostasy that's going to accompany that. Be looking for this anti-Christ that Thessalonians tells us about, that he tells us about here. Paul wrote to the believers in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, 4, Brothers, you are not to be in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Jesus doesn't want us to be in darkness about this. Remember, last week, there are no pop quizzes in Christ. He doesn't do that. He's telling us right here. Yet at the same time, he doesn't want us to prognosticate. There's no pop quizzes, but he doesn't want us to prognosticate. He doesn't want us to to put a pin on the day and hour. In fact, verse 36, he says, about this day and hour, no one knows, not the angels, not even myself. See, Jesus leaves us with this tension that he wants us to hold. He wants us to be ready and know the signs, yet he doesn't want us to prognosticate. He says, watch for the signs, but resist that temptation. He says, be alert, but be satisfied with mystery. Know the signs, but be content with loose ends, brothers and sisters. That's the tension we're to live with so that we're always ready. Could you imagine if he had told us the day and hour? What our flesh would have done with that? What would our flesh have done with that? Well, eat, drink, and be merry until the very end. He wants us to be ready today. Like he's coming in 15 minutes. That's the posture he wants from us. Seals are known for something called unihemispheric sleep. Unihemispheric sleep. I didn't know about this either. When they sleep on land, they sleep like everybody else. But when they sleep in the water, because of the predators, they have the ability to split their brain in two, split their conscience in two, with one half of their brain sleeping and the other one, other half awake. They literally keep one eye open and the other eye closed so they can be ready at a moment's notice to flee. Brothers and sisters, that's how Christ wants us to live. One eye closed, waiting patiently, and one eye open, ready at a moment's notice. He wants us to live uni-hemispherically. Like the master of the house we see in verses 42 43 and 44, if you notice that. Since we do not know the time the thief will come, always be awake. 
Always be ready. Be prepared for his coming. That is the point of that little parable. Always be prepared. But let me ask you a question. What does prepared look like? You know, I'm sitting back there in my, in my office preparing this all week. And, you know, we can talk in all these be prepared, be prepared, be prepared. Okay, pastor, I'll be prepared. But what does that mean? What does it look like? In a way, it goes back to last week's sermon when I told you there's no pop quizzes, but there's also no final exam. The test of the authenticity of your faith is right now. It's right now. The test is of your salvation is right now. And on that test, if there were a written test, this would be the question. Are you ready? What would you do differently right now, today, if you knew for sure that Christ was coming back on December 31st? What would you do differently? Whatever you thought of right there, you should probably start doing. I don't know what it was. Would you spend more time in the Word? Do that. Would you seek out reconciliation in some relationship? Do that. Would you put more of your gifts and time and energy in what God has given you into the church? Then do that. Would you develop a rela- your relationship with God through prayer more diligently? Do that. Would you care less about your bank account and boats and buildings? Would you forgive and ask for forgiveness more? Would you share the good news with anybody and everybody that would listen to you? Then do that. Would you take your sin more seriously? Then do that. Would you fall in love with Christ all over again? Then do that. Because that's what it means to be ready, to be awake, to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Because when he comes, it'll be a time of separation, brothers and sisters. That's, I think, what the whole metaphor of Noah is telling us here. Noah was called to be prepared for the judgment by flood. He was asked by Yahweh to to build this ark. And everything was normal. Eating, drinking, being given in marriage, until it wasn't. Until the floods came. And then there was the great separation. Noah and his family and everybody else. Those who were safe and those who were swept away. D.A. Carson writes, the hour remains unknown until it arrives. And then the cleavage is sudden, absolute, and irreversible. There will be those who are prepared. And then there will be those who choose to eat and drink and be merry. And those two groups will suddenly, absolutely, and irrevocably be separated. That's what 40, uh, verses 40 and 41 are describing. Two men in the field, one taken, one left. Two women grinding, one taken, one left. I, don't, I personally don't think this ha- has anything to do with the rapture at all. 
It is simply, simply saying there will be a separation. And our understanding of this separation is so important to Jesus that he takes a precious next section of chapter 25 to tell us about it in, in another parable, in another way. Look with me at chapter 25, verse 1, the parable of the virgins. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and you, go rather to the dealer and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the hour nor the day. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, be prepared for his coming. Be ready every day. It is the difference between the door being open and the door being shut. Being swept away or being safe. J.C. Ryle, speaking on this verse, wrote this. It's hard to read these things. Millions of professing Christians will be found thoughtless, unbelieving, godless, Christless, worldly, and unfit to meet their judge in that day. Jesus isn't just telling us this to, to scare us. He's actually, think about this, it's a graceful thing that he is doing. He is telling us the truth. He's saying, be prepared. Sacrifice everything to be prepared. He's encouraging us to be ready. And another way he encourages us to be ready is to be found working to be found working. That's what verses 45 through 51, that's what he's telling us here. He goes on and says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master will find doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set them over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to him, Oh, my master is delayed. And begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. My mother was an avid gardener. 
she planted vegetable garden. She had a rose garden. She had English-style perennial gardens that actually encircled the whole property. I know this because I dug most of them. (laughs) And on one of those little square inches of her acreage, she placed a rock that had painted on it, use your hands, it's a reminder. As I dug the gardens, she would sit on the grass and we would talk. And sometimes we would talk about what that meant. She would explain it was a reminder that we come from dirt and that should humble us because we were dirt before God breathed life into us. But she would also say that having dirt underneath your fingernails is a sign that you've been working in the garden. She used to say to me, Blake, when the Lord comes back, we should have dirt underneath our fingernails. Brothers and sisters, when Christ comes back, he wants to see dirt underneath our fingernails. He wants us to be found working. Look at verse 45. Underline it. This is the point that he's making here. Blessed is the servant whom the master finds him doing when he comes. He wants to find us doing Again, Jesus wants us to understand how important this is and follows it up with another parable. I'm not going to bother to read it. It's the parable of the talents. You see, each one of these major points he's making in in chapter 24, he is reinforcing in chapter 25 through these parables. And the thing he wants us to understand about the parable of the talents is it is really important to work and not be lazy spiritually. I mean, if you know the, the parable, the master is going to leave and he calls his three servants in, he gives one five talents, one, one three and one one. And then he goes away, it says, for a long time. And the one with five invested it, worked it, and it doubled, got five more. The one with three invested, worked it, and it doubled. And the one with one, what did he do with it? He buried it. Didn't work it. No work. Just bury. Just hold on to what you got. And do you remember what Jesus said to those three servants? To the first two, it was what? This is what we want to hear when we enter the gates of heaven, by the way. This is what we want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's what he's saying to the first two. Well done. You worked. What did he say to the one who buried it? Did you read it? When the master returned in verse 26, you wicked and slothful, lazy servant. And the master cast him into outer darkness. Being found working is serious to God. Henry Matthew, another commentator on this text, says of another hard thing. He writes, Never expect to be found at the day of God in peace if you are lazy and idle in this your day. It is not 
It is only the diligent who will be happy Christians in the day of the Lord. Our Lord will suddenly come to us and would he find, have him find you idle. Brothers and sisters, may we not be found idle on the day that he returns, but be found working hard, expanding his kingdom. Isn't that what we pray for? Isn't that what Christ told us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer? I mean, those precious few words that he tells us to pray, those those several concepts that he wants us to be diligent to pray for, is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom come to earth. And by the way, in, in between his comings, he uses means. You heard that earlier in the service. He uses ways of doing that. And his means of doing that are you and me. Bringing the kingdom to earth. And in conclusion, I just want to want to mentioned three ways we can do this. Three ways, and and by the way, there are scads of ways to be found working. But I just want to offer three to you. First, be found working, expanding God's kingdom by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the most obvious, right? How does the kingdom expand? One soul, one heart at a time. 2 Peter 3.15 tells us always to what? Do you remember? Always be prepared to what? Always prepared to give an answer for what? Always prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. To who? To everyone who asks you with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. Always be ready. There are always opportunities to share Christ. I, I promise you that if you, in faith, pray right now, that the Lord will give you an opportunity this week, you will get it. Every time I've prayed that, and I, forgive me, I haven't prayed it a lot, but it, it's like right in my face. We have a great hope to offer the world, brothers and sisters. A great hope. A hope that goes beyond gas prices and inflation and war. It goes way beyond that. It's a hope of eternal life, a life after this one, where Revelation 21 says that there's no pain, there's no mourning, there's no crying, there's no death. What a great hope. I mean, every day it seems like we go through pain and mourning and agony and some kind of death in our, in our life. And through Jesus Christ, you can have a hope that is beyond all those things. John fourteen six, Jesus told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the life. You want that hope? You want that life? What should we be offering people? Offering them the hope of Jesus Christ. That they can be forgiven. That they can be accepted by God. Reconciled at peace with him. And have eternal life to boot? Why wouldn't we want to offer that? What stops us? I've been so encouraged the last couple member meetings. 
that we've had. We have a time of sharing for those of you who aren't members here. We have a time of sharing. And, and one of the questions we ask each other in that time of sharing is, have you shared the gospel? And if you have, tell us about it. And I've been so encouraged the last couple of meetings where people have been actually telling us, we've been hearing how you, your little lights, little salt crystals all around this area are sharing Christ. Well done. Well done. May we all be found working with dirt of the gospel sharing underneath our fingernails when he comes, right? Christ returns. Let him find us loving the world through sharing the gospel. Secondly, we may be found with dirt under our fingernails by loving our neighbor as ourselves. When asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In the current culture we're in, we are sorely tempted to not fulfill that commandment. We are sorely tempted, aren't we? With everything that's going on, what are we tempted to do? Hate the world, right? Get bitter with the world. Get angry with the world. Get angry with all those people. And what do we do? We do, exactly, Dustin. We stop trying. We stop sharing. We stop caring. Our hearts become hard. And we find ourselves pulling back from the world. We don't want to pull back. But Christ, that is not the heart of Christ. Think about it. God looked down and saw a pretty ungodly world. And what did he do? He sent his son into it. He, pu- he pushed into the world. That we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God could have pulled out, but he didn't. When Christ returns, let him find us loving the world. Let him find us, our hearts broken for the world. And finally, let Jesus find us working in his kingdom by caring for the least of these. Caring for the least of these. Most of us are not drawn to the least in society. I, I'm not. Isn't that a great confession, profession of a pastor? I'm not drawn to the least. I'm drawn to the most. I'm drawn to the powerful. I'm drawn to the popular. But God says, no, let your hearts be drawn to the least of these things. Least of Again, the parable of the sheep and goats in Matthew 25. Those who are faithful are commended for caring for the hungry, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned. Those are just examples of the least in society. Lord Shaftesbury, the great English Christian reformer of the 19th century, worked tirelessly to improve conditions for workers in factories, mills, Mines, as well as the reforming of child labor laws. He rejected the opportunity for high office, which his connections created for him, in order to champion education for the poor, better conditions for people committed to lunatic asylums, and better housing for the poor. 
In addition to all he was doing, he was president of the Bible Society for 30 years and personally financially backed many, many foreign missions. Why was he devoted so much? Why did he work so fervently for God's kingdom? Well, he said on one occasion towards the end of his life, I do not think that in the last 40 years I've ever lived one conscious hour that was not influenced by the thought of the Lord's return. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants us to have his return on our mind. To be ready, to be found working, In the little acre God has given you, and he's given each of us a little acre to work, with sweat on your brow, your hands calloused, and dirt under your fingernails. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, your hard word this morning, that drives us to work in your kingdom more fervently, to love you more, and to love the world more, Lord. Let our hearts break. Because all this is coming to an end. At some point. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe in a hundred years. But help us, Lord, to always live as with the banner on the front of our hearts. Welcome home. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.